Liberty lockdown, piss down your barcode Your liberty ain't gone, but yeah, it's on hold Where did it come from and where did it go? It requires a fight, not tweeting from your phone Don't need a king, get him off the fucking throne If you ride with the thought, you've always got a home The virus you're scared of will come and it'll go The government knows this, don't get treated like a hoe Let's get into the show Before we start the show today, I wanted to thank everybody that picked up those shirts. We have sold like 20 of them already. It's amazing. Uh, I will be on part of the problem this Wednesday. So that's two days from now. Definitely get one of those shirts before I'm on there because then you'll look like a bandwagoner. Whereas if you get it beforehand, you can be like, yo, I've been riding with Homeboy since Jump Street. Like I say in my song. Uh, Go to teespring.com backslash liberty dash lockdown dash podcast welcome everybody to another episode of liberty lockdown i have a panel of special guests today um there's been a lot of hate that i've seen circulating from liberty twitter saying that uh libertarians and particularly my ilk don't talk about bitcoin enough so i was like fuck you people i'm gonna have on all of the you know bitcoin specialists to talk about this stuff because i'm a huge fan i'm kind of an idiot about this stuff but i i figured you know I'll just crowdsource this information and help my audience get a better handle on it. So we have three highly esteemed Bitcoin experts. I'm going to call you experts, whether you disagree or not. Uh, we have Guy Swan. Welcome aboard. What is up? Car Campit from Timeline Earth. Howdy, howdy. And then Rolo McFlugel taking a business call simultaneously. Uh, <laughs> uh, Guy is the guy who's read more about Bitcoin than anyone else you know. That's high praise for himself. I don't know if it's true. We're going to find out. We got uh, Rolo from McFlugel.com, LibertyMugs.com, and BitcoinTrickle.com, uh, as well as 10HoursOfBitcoin.com and the Rolo and Slappy Show. And then uh, Guy also has BitcoinAudible.com and Car, you know, from Timeline Earth, obviously, which I was on recently and uh, probably got myself canceled, which was fun. <laughs> so here we go. It's the best um, way to cancel. If you get canceled... You That's should get you go down. You go down on timeline earth, my friend. <laughs> you got to do it. You got to do it. Um, so I don't. I don't really have a a firm starting point for this discussion. I I don't want to be the rudimentary, you know, Bitcoin lesson that like I feel I figure that anyone that's listening to this has some somewhat of an understanding of what Bitcoin is, the blockchain, et cetera, et cetera. So uh, I think that first and foremost, the reason I wanted to have you guys on is because in my portfolio, I'm heavily weighted towards, uh, well, real estate first off, but then in terms of the crypto sphere, I'm heavily weighted towards Bitcoin. I think that it is has the, the highest likelihood of being the, uh, I don't know, whatever you want to call it, the the big dog on the block. The dominant the money, the dominant yeah. crypto. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, for the foreseeable future. And um, I'd like, first off, I guess, to go around the panel and and kind of have a, a brief explanation as to why you guys are, I don't know if you describe yourselves as Bitcoin maximalists, but I've heard that term floated a lot. It, would you guys describe yourselves as that? And if so, why? Uh, yeah, I'll start if y'all go with it. Um, Lay for it. Go uh, for it. No, I, I consider myself a Bitcoin maximalist mostly, mostly because uh, uh, it triggers people. Um, and <laughs> you know, if, if somebody, if somebody comes up with like a solid insult, you just got to embrace it and like take it and it's, it's yours and then they can't do anything. Right. Um, but, uh, uh, I'll defend the, uh, read more about Bitcoin than anybody else, you know, is that that's literally my show. Um, <laughs> uh, that's what it's based off of. Like Bitcoin audible is, uh, I, I literally read everything about Bitcoin 
in Audible, so that you have like basically an audio version of it. Um, and then, uh, and then I thank give you, like my thank commentary. you for your service, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, and then I give my take after, and you know, have a bunch of solo episodes and interviews and all the normal podcast stuff. But like that was that was what birthed the show, and I'm at like 500 and some odd reads and damn near 700 episodes now. Wow. Um, so uh, yeah, I've got been, a lot to catch up on. It's been a long 300 three years and some change. Uh, daily shows, roughly. Um, but uh, uh, yeah, so like as a like Bitcoin maximalism is not like I don't think of it as like a prescriptive thing. Um, like a whole bunch of people say that this is about like, oh, you're just shitting on every other coin and uh, oh, you just you just love Bitcoin. They, they like to oversimplify the the reason why like somebody like myself is a Bitcoin maximalist. Like I, I don't give a shit that there's like a bunch of other coins. I, I really just don't. Like it, it makes me sad that I see a lot of people who get burned for tons of money, but like there's not a whole lot I can do about that other than tell people that like, I don't think this is a good investment, you know? Um, but like the goal here is to create secure stateless money is to take the greatest power for state, uh, for state control, for authoritative control over other people and obsolete it. Like, that is the tool that we are creating. If that happens to occur with a thousand various bullshit tokens, I could give a shit. That's great news. You know, like I'm wrong. Great. Um, but I don't think that's the case. And the more and more I've read, the less and less I think that's the case. And just at the end goal, the reason having a money at all is better than barter is the same reason why having one money is better than having a whole bunch of random tokens for every damn thing you want to do. You know, like, like it's like, there is the same, it's the same reason we all speak the same language when we're having this interview rather than speaking four different ones, you know, like it's a communication protocol. Like it is, it, it naturally centralizes on one so that we can build a market on top of it. Um, there's almost always a dominant protocol of rules. You know, we all drive different cars, but we all have the same, we all do the same things at the stop sign and at the stop lights and we all turn on the right side, you know, like the protocols are one. We log into one internet. Um, and because of that, I think we'll have one money. Um, and, uh, uh, and I think that makes sense when you tear down all the barriers, which Bitcoin has done. And so I'm a Bitcoin maximalist. Gotcha. It's not because like I particularly love Bitcoin or I mean, I mean, I do. I fucking love Bitcoin, but it's not like, you know, it's just because I, I think that's how this is going to unfold. Okay. What about you, Rolo? Yeah. So uh, first I want to apologize for being late and having to take that phone call. It's been a, I don't like doing that. Don't um, rough, rough uh, yeah. Rough day at work. But um, yeah, uh, I agree with everything the guy said. I call myself a Bitcoin maximalist. And as he alluded to, it was, a uh, originally a slur against bitcoiners but i think that just shows one of the one of the reasons why bitcoin's so strong and resilient is that we take arrows slinged at us and bitcoin takes arrows slinged at it and ends up turning it around against the attackers um so i came from bitcoin or came to bitcoin from a libertarian perspective austrian economics i've been a libertarian for i don't know nine or ten years now and um over, over the course of being a libertarian, it was very frustrating because I always had to think like, man, I got to convince people 
about the non-aggression principle. I got to convince them to read Murray Rothbard and, and these other things and trying to get them, trying to explain something to someone, they I just get the, the glazed look in their eye. And it's just so frustrating, so frustrating to, to be a libertarian because you're just constantly losing all the time. Um, and then kind of Bitcoin came around and at first I, you know, I was like, oh, this is cool to, you know, anti-state thing and libertarian thing, but I, I didn't really quite understand it that well. And then it wasn't until I really started digging into learning about the economics of money um, was that I, and then uh, along with that kind of more details about Bitcoin and you realize it is, it truly is a winner or a winner take all game. Um, so there will only be one money. And even if you kind of try to think through these scenarios of having a lot of different coins out there and all ha and having an economy where that happens, well, there's liquidity problems and people are going to go to the money or the token that has the most liquidity in order to be able to exchange it for all the other stuff they need. And then you soon realize that it's like, well, why doesn't everyone just hold the one, the thing with the most liquidity? And so it's the same exact thing as, as how money developed in the beginning um, out, out of barter. And so we're going to see the same thing happen again. So when you really understand the economics behind it, really go after the, uh, you know, the really strong Austrian understanding of money, there's just no question that there will be one money. And the more you kind of dig into why Bitcoin is valuable, why it's sound money and why it's, it has all the, uh, the great features, um, you start to see that, well, Bitcoin's the only one with really any decent shot at achieving uh, uh, sound money. And a lot of these other projects that come out, whether they're well-intentioned or not, they're almost always trading some sort of critical security parameter for like some nice feature. Whereas Bitcoin really takes, or the, the, the network and, and all the people running Bitcoin are really careful to not trade any sort of nice kind of cool feature for the base security layer. Um, we can we can scale on top of Bitcoin and we can make trade-offs on layers on top of that that doesn't affect its mission as, as sound money. And we don't want to change anything um, that, would, that would threaten its ability to do that. Um, one of the criticisms I hear from a lot of libertarians that are, are kind of against Bitcoin maximalism is they say stuff like, well, I believe in a free market for money. And so I don't want to say there's just going to be one. It's like, yeah, well, we all agree that too. We just think that Bitcoin's going to do that. And to say, to say that you're going to be agnostic doesn't like, we are the market. Like I'm saying that I'm speculating that Bitcoin is going to replace the dollar as the global currency, global money. So I'm going to take any excess dollars I have and convert them to Bitcoin and save them. And I'm going to dump dollars as fast as I can. And you know, nothing else really appeals to me in order to do that. So, um, you know, we're not, we're, we're absolutely actors in the free market, Bitcoin maximalists by, you know, we're putting our money where our mouth is kind of pretty literally. So that's okay. kind of my, uh, my pitch there. Gotcha. Car laid on us. Unfortunately, Mr. Car Campit had some technical difficulties, so we had to bounce him. You can find him on Timeline Earth nonetheless. He is a brilliant Bitcoin scholar. I wish that we could have kept him, but we couldn't. So here's the rest of the show. The the reason that this all kind of came about was because Roger Ver sent me some Bitcoin cash and and a whole bunch of people piled on saying, 
Is this oh, is this no. is this why is this why libertarians are are against you know Bitcoin because you have these that was my brother actually who said that. Oh, was it? <laughs> okay, there you go. And said that shit. Yeah, and it's like, well, first off, uh, you guys don't know me, so I'll just tell you, I'm rich. F- Fifty bucks worth of Bitcoin Cash isn't gonna fucking convert me into being a, uh, <laughs> a Bitcoin Cash maximalist or whatever. Um, so it, I, I I wouldn't worry about that. Let me just start by saying that. Uh, but what? Why is it that? that you guys, it seems that there's such an antagonistic relationship with people that push other coins. Is it simply because you believe so strongly that people are being misled, you're concerned for them? What, what is it? I, I don't understand the instinct. Because if it is a free market mechanism where people get to decide, it seems to me that you know certainly you should advise your friends and family to pick up whichever currency you believe has the best chance of success. But I don't understand what appears to be kind of a vitriolic relationship with those that don't see the world the way you do i i would say it certainly it certainly started as a um because the the principles when bitcoin was really early um i've been bitcoin for a really long time and the the principles of like what was a fair attempt at creating like a new system because at first you know you kind of get excited you're like okay some somebody's trying out something different right um, like a name coin was the first alternative currency, quote unquote. Um, and I was actually kind of excited about it. They were attempting to create a, a token for a DNS system to create domain names that were basically you couldn't shut down. And I was like, oh, well, this is cool. Like, shit, yeah, let's add this to Bitcoin, right? Um, and then I kind of like had an issue with the economics of it. Like I kept questioning the idea of buying a token, like having a token that was, that basically could not avoid trying to compete as a monetary unit. Because anything, like kind of the interesting thing about Bitcoin is because it is purely digital, the only value it can have is is monetary premium. You know, gold is like 90% monetary value. Its use value is really small. And if it stopped being used as money, it would plummet like 90%. Its premium is the fact that it is a great money. Bitcoin is all monetary premium because it's digital, right? Um, so it's how well it works as a money. And so I had, I was constantly kind of taking this like, these are interesting projects, but um, but I, I couldn't get around the fact that the economics felt weird of like, you know, nobody's going to go to a restaurant if you have to buy Applebee's tokens to go in and get your food at Applebee's. Somebody's just going to create an Applebee's that doesn't require Applebee's tokens where you can spend Bitcoin and then they're just going to use that instead. Um, like it just doesn't make sense. Um, and so uh, that like started to unfold, but then you had, you started having clearly and painfully dishonest ones. Ones that had where they would sell a million tokens and they would pre-mine six million. Like they would just print themselves tokens like nobody's business. They were just, they were, they were turning the Cantillon effect into a money printing machine. And they were like, we are the central bank. And it got nasty really, really quick. Um, and there was so much dishonesty and there were so many scams. And I think just over time is that that has gotten embedded in it that, there were so many scams that were so, I mean, they just rug pulled people for hundreds of millions of dollars and then just fucking left the project. 
-hmm. right? Like just, just up and just, just sucked so much out of people. And I didn't even think the economics of it made sense much less. And that's the honest projects, right? And then 95% of them are dishonest crap. Um, so, and I think over time, it's just become cemented that you better have, you better have the most brilliant, astounding reason to create some bullshit token where you get to print it and give yourself a bunch or we're just not going to give you even, you don't even get 260 characters, you know, like, and I think that's really where it's gone is it's just, it's gotten exaggerated. Um, but I think it was honestly like where I saw it originate, it was calling out scams that clearly were dishonest. And then it somehow became the norm that it was okay to pre-mine all your coins that everybody just kept justifying it and justifying it. And people lost so, 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 so much money. Um, and uh, I, I really think that's where it, like where it came from. Or that's at least where the animus comes from. Experience. Yeah. That's been my hesitancy with any of the altcoins is that when I, well, first off, I don't have time to, to dig in and read and understand all, all of the alt options that are out there fully. So as a serious money manager and an investor, I don't invest in things I don't understand. And so for that reason, I don't invest in many of the altcoins. Um, right. But additionally, so many of them have unlimited supply. And I'm like, does yep. that not immediately throw up a red flag that like you, I guess, I guess the, the, the truth is, is that some people are just speculative assholes. They're not, they're mm. not actually interested in, in the mission that probably the four of us see, which is to get away from fiat currency, to get away from central banking, to get away from all of the mismanagement of the state. And if you have unlimited supply and you're throwing your, you know, your money into something that has unlimited supply, I don't see any, in any way that that's an improvement on our current situation. Um, a perfect example being Dogecoin. People are like fucking it's it's such a meme and and anytime elon you know tweets about it it skyrockets and it's just it's embarrassing it's irritating so like i get i get that instinct from that side i guess my the my problem is that i don't understand the altcoin sphere well enough to to know that there aren't some decent projects that are out there so i i'd like to go around the panel and just ask you guys i know that you're maximalist so the, i'm not do not, you don't need to preface this with going, well, I wouldn't invest in that because I would get Bitcoin. I'm saying, are there any projects that aren't Bitcoin that you think have merit, that are genuine, that are sincere, that aren't fiat, you know, some some legitimate quasi-contender to Bitcoin's throne? I would say, I like, I don't think they're contenders, but I think a lot of the projects are honest. Okay. Um, uh, like there is some portion of them five percent ten percent whatever it is of people who just i think fail to understand the economics and the 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 kind of issues of like like monetary standards consolidating onto one um and but they're building interesting tech you know they're writing cool software they're doing cool things with it but i don't think that has anything i don't think that has any bearing at all on whether or not the token quote-unquote wins okay. um I think the monetary token and the software that they are building are wholly separate. Um, and like a good example, actually, uh, there was a, a Mastercoin was one of the very first, like one of the very early altcoins. And it, uh, it, it later rebranded to Omni, um, but uh, they actually ran, you know, Tether, the stable coin. Yeah. The Tether actually ran on that chain originally. 
Um, and uh, so it's a great example of why the software has absolutely nothing to do with the token. Um, and this is all open source software anyway. Everybody just copy and paste. And that, mm -hmm. in fact, that's what so many of these freaking coins are. Somebody just copied Ethereum and changed a little bit and called it Cardano or whatever the hell, you know? Um, and uh, I'm not saying they are a copy. I have no idea. I don't follow their GitHubs. Um, but uh, the... The idea is that the software has nothing to do with the token. If you can build that system or provide that service without the token, somebody's just going to do it. You know, if it's actually valuable and it's not just like a, a token a token speculation circle jerk, um, somebody's just going to do it without your token. Um, and Omni, like Tether, was running on this this Omni chain. God, I can't imagine. If you don't know these terms, how jargony this probably sounds. But uh, Tether was running on... Omni and people were talking about how uh, Omni and or MasterCoin, whichever one, whichever one it was at the time, was going to take over because oh my God, Tether runs so much better on it. And uh, and then Tether just up and picked up their software and stuck it on a different chain. And Omni died. And it just it just disappeared. And Tether just kept running without breaking a sweat. Nobody even knew who was using Tether. And then it moved to Ethereum. Uh, and now Ethereum fees have skyrocketed because turns out blockchains run like blockchains every time you do it and there's going to be fees. Um, and, uh, and now they've up and they've moved to Tron, basically. The bulk of the uh, volume is on Tron. None of this has anything to do with the token. You know, like, like the, if your token itself is not good money, none of the value will be captured by the software you build on top of it. Um, and I think that is like the fundamental thing. I, I think there's lots of interesting projects. I love the privacy stuff in Monero, but I think Monero, the token is crap. Um, and the fact that they hard fork all the time is an absolute detriment to their like monetary yeah. stability. Um, and then Zcash, they got some really interesting privacy tech. Um, I, I mean, I mean, you could go down the list. There's so many things that I think are interesting projects but I think they have fundamentally misunderstood the problem of making a sound money. And they just throw that out the window to, you know, make some widgets. And, uh, and I, think it's, I think it's what kills them is the fact that they think they're going to create a free floating token just so that this one utility can do something. I think, I think utility tokens in general just don't work. Okay. R Rolo, what do you think? Yeah, I, I agree with Guy there. Um, just to maybe make the point a little bit differently to, re to reiterate. Um, yeah, if you're not, if you're not backed by this, the soundness and the, the censorship resistance of Bitcoin, then if you're trying to build something on one of these other tokens that is supposed to be decentralized, supposed to be censorship resistance, then resistant, then, then what's the point? And there's some projects out there. And I agree with guy too, that, that some of them are well-meaning. Um, some of them are actually interesting things, but, you know, if you're trying to do something like build a social media network that um, can't be controlled by anybody else except you and and no one can stop you. But if you can't run your own node to manage that data, then you're relying on someone else's server. And so it just defeats the point of everything that you're doing. So what's so great about Bitcoin is that it's very easy to run a node. It's very easy to do all the verification and to secure Bitcoin, to be a first-class Bitcoin citizen. I don't think a lot of people understand that when you run a Bitcoin full node and that what that does, that validates every single block, every single transaction that goes through. That puts you on par with the central bank. 
the central banks that we have today, except not it, it surpasses that. Because if you imagine what it was like to be on a gold standard um, and we we're trading gold coins around and everything. And that's a layer built on top of gold. To, to be able to have the same parity, uh, a gold standard have parity with Bitcoin, and every time that you received a gold coin, you melted it down, made change, and, and minted new gold coins and gave it out to whoever needed it while you were verifying with 100% certainty the entire supply. That's what a blockchain does for you, or a time chain, whatever you want to call it. But that's what Bitcoin does, and that's what running a full node does, which all you need is a crappy internet connection and a crappy computer to do that. So when these the other projects, crappy internet connection right now can still run a full <laughs> get out of here. <laughs> <laughs> but so when these other projects say they want to do all this other stuff and add all this, all these other bells and whistles and features, well, then you're adding a lot of data that everyone has to, to, uh, to include on their node. And it makes it so that the average person, average hardware, or not even average, below average hardware can't can no longer uh, no longer be a part of it. I mean, Bitcoin's being built not for like the good times and happy times and when it's on an attack. Bitcoin is designed so that when it is under the attack of the strongest governments in the world, it will survive. I'm going to pick on Ethereum for a second to to make this point pretty clear because we have a, a you know a real life example of this happening. So, because Ethereum requires so much bandwidth and so much data to be stored that you know the average person can't spin up a node very quickly. So people that are that are building these projects that run on Ethereum, they end up going to uh, you know like server farm, or not server farms, but but centralized servers that will run nodes on their behalf because they can do it a lot quickly, a lot quicker and cheaper. And so Infura was the name of this server company that did a lot for these people. Well. Ethereum had a, some hard fork one time and didn't alert the Infura people. And so all of their stuff went out of sync and they had to panic and, and had all these problems with getting everyone back together and, and, kind, of, and kind of on the same page. But more critically, um, let's say a government decided that they wanted to go after Ethereum. And if uh, the vast majority of the nodes that are running Ethereum are on centralized servers, then all the government has to do is go knock on those couple of doors and say, hey, um, you know, stop running this stuff or we will shut you down. And they're going to say, okay, we'll stop running it because you're asking someone else to, you know, stake their own livelihood for whatever you're doing on their stuff. They're just not going to do it. I mean, it's just like if, if, you know, the government knocked on my door and I was holding uh, a gold bar for you, and they said, hey, we know you have a gold bar and we want to take it from you or else we're going to shoot you and your family in the face. I'm going to say, you know, sorry, Clint, but lost your gold. <laughs> and, and, and we can't expect anyone to do anything differently than that. Uh, it's, it's up to. Can, can you explain to the audience? Uh, I, I know the answer, but I'd like for you to explain why, why that's not possible with Bitcoin. Sure. It's not possible because we're all running, we're all able to run our own nodes and our heart on our on our own hardware. And so if the government decided that they wanted to attack Bitcoin, then they would have to come and confiscate or shut down the internet or confiscate the hardware from literally everyone. Because as long as someone has a copy of the blockchain, the history, the data, then they could, you know, 
get Bitcoin back going again and, and have the transaction history as everyone had it. Um, you're not relying on third parties to run the network for you. It is extremely distributed and, and, it's, and it's very easy for someone to you know, run a full node and be a full-fledged Bitcoin citizen. Mm-hmm. Whereas basically all these other projects, especially ones that claim that they can you know, do all these you know, nice bells and whistles that take a lot of data, or they say stuff like, oh, we're, uh, I don't know that Ethereum does this, but this is just a generic thing that, that you hear a lot of these other projects say, hey, we're going to run a decentralized social media. And because, you know, Twitter, Facebook, all these all these centralized services have censorship problems and it's frustrating and annoying. So they try to solve it, but they don't solve the problem that you have to store your data on someone else's servers. So. It, it just it, it as soon as the government, what did they do? Yeah. Yeah. As soon as the government decides we, we want to stop this, they just go knock on a couple doors and they stop it. Well, Whereas it's a per- perfect, perfect example was Parler. They. They stupidly put their servers on Amazon and then <laughs> right, yeah. the government was, or I don't even know if it was the government, but uh, Amazon, I think it's AWS, the Amazon server farm just killed them. Um, so I think that's a really good analogy to kind of like in, in modern parlance for people to understand what could occur with some of these other altcoins. Um, sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt though. Continue. No, that's fine. Uh, no, that was a great, great, great thing to bring up. And, and I, I guy just like stood up a little bit and I saw this, I think he's wearing a Bitcoin magazine shirt. It reminded me of an article I wrote uh, kind of recently uh, about more about the electricity and the infrastructure. But the idea, although one of the criticisms of Bitcoin that people try to make is that, uh, oh, well, <laughs> all, uh, good luck when, when the internet gets, gets shut down or we run out of electricity. And it's just like, that's just such an insane and silly argument because like, that would be such a cataclysmic event that like there would be no recovering from like they just people kind of make that argument and just casually say it like oh well then when the government shuts down the internet like do you understand how how massive an undertaking that would be and the thing is that you don't need the internet to run bitcoin you can connect to a satellite you can you can connect to shortwave radio um you know there's there's mesh networks there's like bitcoin's so simple and small and low bandwidth that it makes it just almost just so impractical to shut it down where all you need to do is to be able to send uh, receive about a meg a couple megabytes every 10 minutes of data that's not that that's not that much imagine trying to do that with a couple gigs every right. 10 minutes you just you know, you can't do that over shortwave radio you can't do that over uh, you know a small net mesh network it, it's it's if we're talking about being actually censorship resistant, government hard money, that if it can only exist the way that you want it to exist when everyone's kind of playing along, it's you're going to be toast once it's once the going gets tough. And, and a lot of these other even not even talking about governments, a lot of these other altcoins like we'll, we'll bring up Bitcoin Cash um, because Roger Veer sent you that that Bitcoin Cash. Well, Bitcoin Cash has a a really, really tiny minority or tiny, tiny percentage of the amount of hash rate, which is the mining uh, that goes into to the to the to the coin that Bitcoin does. And they use the same algorithm. So if someone wanted to attack Bitcoin Cash, these miners wouldn't even really have to collude. Just a large miner probably has more 
uh, hash rate than Bitcoin Cash does in its whole network and could just obliterate it for as long as it wanted to. Yeah. And so it's, it's just, there's, it's, these other networks are permissioned by a lot of different people and a lot of different entities, whereas Bitcoin actually is permissionless because we're not, it's not up to the whims of someone deciding that they want to shut it down or not. So what, what is it about Bitcoin? Is it just the fact that it had blue water and it existed and it got into enough diverse hands early, early on that it can't be at a 51% attacked or whatever you want to call it? Is that is basically I'm asking like you guys described the, the code for Bitcoin. Uh, I mean, all of this stuff is open source, so it can just be copied in and uh, duplicated. But if it can, why can't it be copied and duplicated and improved upon and then recreated in some new iteration? Well, to some degree, to some degree, it it could in a in like a coding sense. Like Bitcoin is incredibly brilliant in some contexts, but then it's also got like some issues, right? Like it's not, it's not without its fault. Like there's, there's a, there's a bug where you have to like put a zero at the beginning of, I can't, I can't remember exactly what it is. I want to say it's like the timestamp or something, but I'm probably wrong about that. But, um, but literally like you just have to like all the clients, because there was a bug that was like put in this decentralized system, like early on, um, that you just have to kind of adjust for it and you have to put like a leading zero somewhere um, when you're writing a transaction or some crap like that. And, uh, uh, and it's just a part of Bitcoin, right? Um, and obviously we could start a whole new system and fix that, but is that really that important? You know, like, yeah, no, clearly, clearly that wouldn't be worthwhile. I'm just saying if there was some new, new idea, something as, as groundbreaking, as earth shattering, as, you know Satoshi's original premise, but okay. uh, an add-on to the Bitcoin code. So not not just a minor fix here or there, but something that really, really improved upon it. Why is it that that couldn't replace Bitcoin moving forward? That is the only thing that could have any potential impact, in my opinion. It would have to be an order of magnitude increase in what it actually does. Okay. Um, it would and have could, to. Can be you explain? A... Can you explain why it would have to be such a massive? improvement as opposed to just say it makes it 10% better you know why why um, is bitcoin not victim to co competition that is marginally better i would say that most of the quote unquote um perceived 10% betters are usually 10% worse um that they have misunderstood the engineering challenge and what the ultimate goal is and they have created some little feature at the cost of what's important um, like, for instance, scaling is a great example, is that everybody's like, oh, we can do four times as many transactions. And this was this was the scaling debate, right? This was all the this was the huge mess that happened with Bitcoin Cash um, and the direction of the uh, pr protocol going forward. Uh, there was this huge bifurcation. Everybody was like, oh, we're going to put all the transactions on the base layer. And everybody was like, that doesn't make any sense. We have to build this thing in layers on top. Um, and uh, it's very similar to the, the conflict and the kind of holy wars at the early days of the internet um, is that it's fundamentally misunderstanding the problem of decentralization, which is critical that it has a low barrier to entry. It has a low data cost to keep it decentralized. You know, 
I, I seriously contend that the reason a lot of the altcoins haven't been outright attacked or banned um, is because Bitcoin exists. Um, uh, like Ethereum, you could shut down. Um, you could pr you could pretty much shut down. There's a, there's a couple of main servers that you could hit. I mean, when Infura went down, like Rala said, um, uh, like quote unquote, all the DeFi just ground to a halt. Like, and which shows it is not D. You know, DeFi stands for decentralized finance. If you can just shut off one computer and like throw the whole thing into a stink, you, you haven't really solved anything. Mm -hmm. um, uh, you've still got a permission system. You've just got the facade of, oh, it's decentralized right now. But, you know, if even if the government decided that they were going to shut down all the ports uh, that, you know, the main cryptocurrencies run over um, through like a bunch of the main like Internet hubs, Bitcoin's the only one that could actually run over Tor entirely. In fact, already a quarter, a third of Bitcoin runs entirely over Tor. Um, we've kind of can made you, it. Can you standard. explain briefly what, what Tor is? Because I'm sure some people don't know. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So Tor is a, uh, it's actually a military created um, anonymizing uh, uh, relay network. So it, it's basically an alternative, quote unquote, to the internet. You obviously connect to it through the normal internet. But um, it's an alternative protocol that's completely anonymous where nobody has a location, you know, where I log in from the United States and somebody else logs in from Russia. Tor is just everything is encrypted layers on top of encrypted layers. So nobody actually has a location. And therefore, you can't figure out how, who anybody is. Everybody's completely private. Um, all, all data is encrypted. And the one cost of creating that system is that you have low bandwidth, mm. you have very limited amount of data because there's a huge computation cost to run all the rest of the system. But that's the trade-off, right? You get the anonymity and you get the fact that no government can shut you down. Like the Great Firewall of China uh, has tried to shut down tour traffic multiple times and it's failed every single time. Interesting. Um, and so Tor is like that thing that can seep through every crack and every government wall that they try to put on, um, uh, put up in the internet. And Bitcoin can run entirely over it. And that is specifically because it has a very low bandwidth cost at the base layer. Um, it's the court system for the Bitcoin monetary network, right? Uh, and uh, so like, like because of this, um, I think Bitcoin's decentralization actually saves a lot of altcoins from being attacked because they get the benefit of the doubt that, you know, they would all, it would all just call more attention to the fact that there is one that's decentralized. It's heavily decentralized and heavily government resistant. Mm -hmm. um, but back, back to the original question here is uh, like the order of magnitude improvement is like, think about like any communication medium, like Betamax and VHS, you know, Betamax had better video quality but it lost out because it was meaningless in the grand scheme. Like network effects are incredibly powerful. Mm -hmm. um, and as soon as one starts to steamroll and get out ahead, aside from the fact that I really don't think there are any altcoins that have a meaningful um, improvement, if you could say that they do, maybe they clean up a little bit of the code base and make it a little bit more modular, whatever the hell they their claim to fame is. Um, I think it's completely pointless in the context of a monetary network because the, the base idea, in fact, every feature you add to it is just an attack vector. You know, mm. 
Like it's just another door to get into your, to get into your house and screw something up. The more doors you have into your house, the more problems you have. Well, this Bitcoin is secure because it does like five things and it does those five things in an incredibly small, concise and secure way so that you know exactly what someone would have to do to get in. Right. Ethereum is a great example of something that just tries to do as many things as possible, which just means that there's a thousand different ways probably to screw something up. Mm -hmm. and we've seen that play out multiple times in the past. Well, let, let me ask a, probably a stupid metaphor, but it seemed <laughs> 15 years ago or so that my, MySpace was the dominant social media platform. And it, it had all the aspects of network effect that you would talk about in terms of like making it a household sure. name and everyone has it and blah, blah, blah. Um, why is it that Facebook coin, and I know they actually have a coin, but I'm not, that's not part of this metaphor. Uh, why, why can that not come along and replace it? I mean, because the reason I ask is because we are seeing such exponential improvements in technology over the past 20 years. It seems, it seems naive to me to believe that there can't be something that we're not envisioning now that comes along and, and replaces Bitcoin's dominance. Is, are you guys, I mean, obviously you're confident that's not going to happen. I would like to understand why. Yeah. So, I, oh yeah, let's, let's roll up. I, I don't believe that Bitcoin exists into perpetuity. I think that something eventually, I have no idea when, and I don't think it's going to be for a long time because gold was the dominant mon monetary system for 6,000 years. Um, so, you know, imagine gold and it's kind of like heyday and people being like, oh, there's going to be something to replace gold. It's like, all right, well, let me know when. Mm -hmm. um, so I, I am, you know, I call myself a Bitcoin maximalist. Uh, maybe more correct would be a sound, mo sound money maximalist. Mm -hmm. I will go with whatever I believe is, has the best chance of achieving sound money. There's just nothing that we see out there that has any sort of chance when you look at the economics or the technical side of Bitcoin that has any sort of chance. So if something does come up and it will have to be a major technological advance that is actually able to be better than Bitcoin and, and not just be a marginal improvement with Bitcoin, because like I said, these network effects are so powerful. There could be someone that decide, hey, this one little parameter, we can, tr we can tweak it, but it makes Bitcoin and it makes Bitcoin a little bit better. Well, how do you bootstrap that network from nothing to where Bitcoin is now? You got to convince all these people to change their, their point of consensus onto this new thing, which represents this massive amount of risk. And I forget, um, Guy, you, uh, you probably know the, the term for the longer something exists, the more likely. Lindy, Lindy yeah, the Lindy effect. Thank you. The Lindy effect. Uh, that is a really, really powerful concept in Bitcoin that um, it's not going to be, I, 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 you know, to solve digital scarcity is, was what they did with when, when Bitcoin was first created, uh, was, was a major technological advancement. And it's, it's one of these, you know, zero to one events that occur throughout history that happen very rarely and signal something very, you know, this massive change. Um, I think just for the it, listeners sake, uh, digital scarcity, meaning that you're able to have transactions that are verifiable on like basically like a an electronic escrow. Could you explain basically what you mean by digital scarce, scarcity? Sure. So Bitcoin has Bitcoin is basically a, a ledger that everyone has a copy of. 
And so there's a, a spot on a ledger that says Rollo owns this Bitcoin. And so that when I decide to spend it and send it to Clint, that I can't have a copy of what I sent to Clint and try to respend it. Right. Yeah. That, and that there the, will only ever be 21 million and, you know, you can't create more. Right. The, the reason I use the escrow metaphor is because I'm a mortgage broker. Mm -hmm. So uh, yeah. I, I understood Bitcoin in that regard very early on. I was like, oh, it's a digital escrow. Like that's all it is. It's basically making sure that one person has possession and then it is exchanged to another person. But they did it in a way where there really is no escrow. It's like, right. because the blockchain itself verifies the transaction. It's, it's really, yeah, I agree with you. It, it was a zero to one moment. Um, the, the only reason that I'm hesitant to believe that it will have the longevity just because of the Lindy effect where it's been around for 11 years, it hasn't been, you know, hacked or broken. Um, because, and, and you bring up, you know, gold's dominance for 6,000 years. It, the game has changed to some extent. I mean, we have, I forget, uh, what the term is, but the, what, what is it? I know this term. Come on. Come on, brain. Uh, anyways, Sorry, I just forgot a term too. <laughs> a really important one for Bitcoiners too. <laughs> yeah. Well, like, like the, like the singularity kind of concept where yeah. you're, you have such exponential technological growth that it, it goes parabolic and you get to like a point of where AI runs shit and all, all sorts of stuff. Um, I forget the name of the guy who came up with it, but anyways, uh, so I, I'm, I'm hesitant to believe that just because it's existed. Ray Kurzweil, and, and maybe? Maybe, maybe. Uh, I was thinking of Kurzweil. Kurzweil. Yeah, yeah. I, I, sorry, I probably just pronounced it wrong, but yeah. Okay. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, uh, it's just that because because technology is improving so rapidly, it, it seems to me that, you know, sure, gold held dominance for 6,000 years. Perhaps Bitcoin only holds it for 100 years. And even if it does, that's tremendous. You know, that would be amazing if it were to be, be capable of that. And, and God willing, it will. Um, but I, I'm just, I'm hesitant to put all of my assets into something that I think might be able to be improved upon and outcompeted in some form or fashion. And because I have a lot of money, I don't want to do that unless I'm very confident. And, and I know that the three of you, or now the two of you, um, <laughs> RIP Carr, uh, are, are this confident. So, I'm, I'm basically, I'm having you on to try and convince me just to, you know, lift, lift the, uh, <laughs> the gown here and show you my, my goodies. I really, I really want to be convinced that I should be putting uh, maybe not all, but a, a very substantial portion of my portfolio into Bitcoin, even at these price levels. And I'm not going to expect you to, you know, be held responsible for any of this. So this none of this is financial advice, mind you, that this is all just us bullshitting and talking our own opinions, whatever, whatever yeah. legal jargon I need to say to, to get us off the hook. Um, but why, if you say you had millions of dollars, and maybe you guys do, cause you've been early Bitcoin adopters, you might at this point. Um, what would you tell to someone who's old money, who's, who is not a huge participant in Bitcoin to encourage them or, or, you know, calm their fears in taking that leap? Yeah. Um, so I would answer your previous question. Please, any uh, order um, you want to go. Yeah, sure. Uh, I would answer your previous question with another question, actually. Um, is, you know, this isn't, Bitcoin is not an app. A lot of people think of it like an app on their phone. Um, and that's very much the MySpace to Facebook idea. Mm -hmm. um, and that is not, I, I don't think that's the way to think about it. Sure. This is an underlying medium of communication. This is the base layer protocol. 
lots of things change on the internet. But you know what we've been using since 1976 and it hasn't moved or changed at all? TCP IPv4. Mm. Like the underlying protocol for the internet hasn't budged for 50 years. Mm -hmm. um, and in fact, so that's for what the this last, is. yes, for the okay. last 20 years, we've been trying to upgrade to version six and we're still only at like 30% that it's even accessible and everybody still runs V4 despite that. Mm -hmm. um, like that's been a 20 year upgrade and it doesn't, it's not a new internet. It's still just trying to change the old internet, mm -hmm. right? Um, that is what Bitcoin is. It is an underlying base layer consensus protocol. That's a bunch of jargon, but it is a, it is a fundamental layer for a monetary truth. It is that base layer. There will be thousands of things built on top of it. And the key is that to think about, like the reason it's not just going to get constantly replaced is because the maturation phase of a monetary asset is decades, decades upon decades upon decades. We're talking about building a whole new financial system with a different foundation. The, the, the lock-in cost of sticking to one is astronomical and you don't change that because you've got like 10 cent better fees on the base layer and uh maybe you've got some new widget or crypto kitties or something that you've stuck on yours um these are we're talking about century long time scales that these sorts of changes occur um and then in uh another way is that like right at the beginning bitcoin was very centralized it was the same code it's, it's, it's stayed, stayed the same code all the way to this day. But at the very beginning, it's just a handful of people. There was Satoshi was there. And if he wanted to change something, he probably could have hard forked pretty easy. Um, it was very, very centralized. The process of decentralization isn't a cop, cannot be copied and pasted. It's a process of growth. You have to earn decentralization. You have to be tested and then basically grow and the infrastructure and the things. The reason Bitcoin is decentralized is because it has been attempted to be centralized like 10 times and it continues to succeed in the face of it. It's mm -hmm. like saying, you know, you might have the DNA of another person. Um, like there's the DNA of a grown man who can go out and he's a lumberjack and he can go out and cut down your trees and build you a house or something. And then you can copy that DNA and put it in a womb, but that baby in the womb isn't going to be able to cut down your tree and build your house. You got to wait for 20 years before it gets there. Mm -hmm. And maybe that baby's going to be way better at cutting down trees, but you're going to be using the lumberjack. Like, <laughs> <laughs> you know, like, like maybe you improve that DNA a little bit. Like there's a huge growth phase it takes decades to unravel. And for the same reason, they created TCP IP version five and tried to put streaming in the base layer at, in the 90s. Shit didn't go anywhere. Mm -hmm. Nobody, nobody, nobody's going to use that because you can just build streaming on top of the normal internet. Mm -hmm. Like you just have to wait for the bandwidth, the infrastructure. You have to wait for the protocol to get to that point and you can build on top of it. I think everybody's trying to put streaming and cable tv like analogously um i think everybody's trying to put streaming on the internet in 1992 everybody's trying to you know run zoom meetings with 30 people on the internet in 1992 and it's just not there yet and so what they're doing is they're copy and pasting the code 
and giving up all of the fundamental decentralization of the system so that they can try to be like, we've got Zoom meetings. We've got, we've got streaming TV and Netflix and all this stuff. Uh, but what they've actually given up is what makes the protocol valuable. Mm -hmm. They've given up the fact that it's stateless, that it's permissionless, that it's independent. And it's going to be built on top of Bitcoin. It's just not that hard. It's just a process of maturation. And uh, I had a thought while you were talking. So it's a while back in, in what you said. But um, as far as the decentralized, people always like, they clown on the guy who spent 10,000 Bitcoin to get those pizzas you know, <laughs> yeah. a decade ago. And, and my thought every time I hear that is like, the reason Bitcoin has value today is because people decided to start to exchange in it. You know, like regardless of, what he thinks he might have had had he not made that purchase of those pizzas bitcoin may not have taken off in a weird way like it's it's a uh, i don't know it's yeah. kind of like a philosophical point but basically had people hoarded it from the from its inception we would have never got to the network effect that you're describing um so I don't know. Laszlo actually. I'm trying to make him feel better. <laughs> yeah. Well, Laszlo actually talks about that. He's the Laszlo Hynix is the the guy who did that. Oh, it um, is okay. And uh, Laszlo actually talks about it like that. I mean, he's he's fine. He had ten thousand Bitcoin to just toss around. Um. And uh, uh. But he talks about like you know. No, I don't. I don't regret that. You know, yeah. it's just like this is this is awesome that I was at that point in Bitcoin's history. Like it's right. it's cool as shit that I can look back and say. I was the one who did that, that like, well, you know, put it on the line and did the first transaction. He'll, he'll never be forgotten. That's for sure. Did, yeah. Didn't he invent GPU mining too? Yeah. So yeah. He invented GPU mining. That mofo ain't got no Bitcoin scarcity at all. <laughs> yeah. He's probably feeling bad for us. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, I'll give you your shot, Rolo. Convince me, convince me that I should, uh, I should take the plunge. Sure. Um, I will take it a little bit different of an angle because I think I went through that, uh, very, very well. And uh, I put my stamp of approval for what that's worth that <laughs> <laughs> on everything you said. So let's take a look at like, where, where are we storing our value right now? Um, you know, I, I'm sure you're not holding just dollars or the majority of dollars because we know that fiat and, and dollars specifically just gets it's about hemorrhaged, the value hemorrhaged out of it because of, of all the, the printing that they do. They can just literally proof money into existence. And it's not just this, the central banks and the Federal Reserve doing it. When you go get a mortgage at your local bank and you get a mortgage for $200,000, the bank doesn't go around and, and collect $200,000 to go give to you. They have some small fraction of $200,000 and then just show it in your bank account that you have $200,000. That, that bank created that money out of nowhere. So, and then they, they give like, you know, this, these nonsense CPI numbers and inflation rates. It says, oh, we're only 2.1%. It's probably what, 7, 10% annually, especially after the last year or two. It, it's just, I, I don't know, but, it, but it's, it's really, really high. And we're seeing all- Over the past assets. 12 months, it's very, very high, yes. Yeah, and we see these assets, but look at the housing market. Look at what's yep. going up there. Even, even lumber, gas is getting more expensive. We, you know, there's this thing going around showing like what a two by four costs now this year. It's like six yep. bucks when it used to be like two bucks. Yeah, it's brutal. Um, I'm building six houses right now. Trust me. Oh, so I was about to say I'm not sure building my basement in the crawl. It's really unbelievable the cost. Yeah, right and now. and people don't realize, but you know, all all of that added cost trickles down to the you know end consumer. So people are going to be like, well, why are these houses? You know, why is a starter home now three quarters of a million dollars? Well, this is why. But it, it's it's double ended. Like 
one, you had the lockdowns, which people don't consider that crush the supply chain. And that's, that's really what we're seeing. A lot of this is that you don't have the supplies because our supply chain has been fucked up because the entire world decided to lock down for no apparent reason, in my opinion, hence the name of my show. Um, but then on top of that, they decided to print give or take $7 trillion over the past 12 months. So why not? Yeah. You add, you add those two things together and it's a complete recipe for disaster. And, and you know, the, this is my, my reason for concern is like, uh, well, this is my reason for my concern and also my reason for patience and calm and trying to keep myself calm is that in 08, when we had the huge bailouts, which was at the time was huge because it was 800 billion. I thought that that might be the end of fiat currency as we know it. Now we're up to 7 trillion in a year. And I was wrong last time. So why am I, why am I right this time? You know, like I know there's yeah. a, it's, it's kind of like a, a mountain of sand and you, you build in fragility in the system as it, as it gets larger. And then you have a huge, huge collapse. And I feel like we're on the cusp of it. And I don't feel like many people identify it. However, because I felt like we were on the cusp of it a decade ago, I try to be like, okay, maybe I'm wrong. You know, maybe I'm wrong again. Maybe this isn't the one. Maybe we will have uh, a deflationary collapse, but it won't be the end of the world. We'll, we'll have one final bubble before the ultimate collapse. Do you guys have any opinion as to where we're at in the absolute death of fiat globally? I still think there's plenty to go for it. I don't think we're right on the edge. I don't think we're like, yeah. after this, it's going to, they are really, really good at what they do. Okay. Really, really good. Like, can you, before this year, and you, you told someone told you, yeah, the Fed's going to print seven, lock down the entire world's economy, print seven trillion dollars, and it's going to be like things got more expensive, and it's not great, but like still manageable. Still, government still has credibility. The Fed still has credibility among most people. You, you're like, no, you're crazy, but they did it. Right. And well, I, 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 I mean, the 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 key to to add to that point, which is a valid one is that monetary velocity has been dog shit because so many people were scared to death. They stopped spending. They started to save, which is the healthy, responsible adult reaction to all of this. However, right. because of that, we haven't had the massive circulation. In fact, you're, you're basically witnessing the Kenelon effect in real time. The, the banks and the stock market and everybody else that gets first go at Fed funds is crushing it. Everybody else is dying, you know? And, yeah. and I just... My fear is that if the economy turns back on full speed ahead, say 12, 24 months from now, you could have a true hyperinflationary uh, moment where, where fiat really does die. We see that you know fiat is inflating so much. And, and while I don't necessarily believe that this is going to be like the death knell for fiat and it's going to have this collapse and Bitcoin's going to be there to swoop in and, and take everything, um, I think it's like this slow bleed that's going to happen. And so people are just going to slowly over time recognize that Bitcoin is a much better savings vehicle than fiat and just start converting their savings and, and wealth preser preservation from fiat and fiat denominated assets into Bitcoin. So, you know, if you're not saving in fiat to protect your wealth, what are you doing? I mean, you can go into the stock market, but, you know, you said earlier that you don't invest in things you don't understand which I don't either. I think that's a very wise thing to do. Um, I have a 401k still, and uh, it is in like the Vanguard 2055 retirement fund. Yeah. That is dumb money that is in there because I have no idea 
what any of those things, any of those things in that fund fund is. And it's going to get like seven or eight percent every year. And people are going to say, well, that's pretty good. Seven or eight percent. But we're just like, well, that's probably not even keeping up with inflation. And so you know, people are forced into things like the stock market and start throwing dumb money around. And you're not really doing that much better than inflation um, just by kind of keeping these, uh, you know, uh, these these average returns. So you start looking at other things. Um, gold, you know, gold's maintained its its monetary premium for a while as a store of value, just as a store of wealth. It's it's done. It's toast as a money fiat. You know, the fact that it's no longer money is is the proof that it is no it can't be money anymore. Um, and that's a whole conversation that could be had about why why I believe that's true. Um, but if Bitcoin's just a better, you know, more, it's better, Bitcoin is better than gold for a lot of reasons. So if we're going to just use something to store value. Why not Bitcoin over gold? I get it. Yeah, there's there's no reason to have uh, gold over Bitcoin. And then you look at stuff like real estate, um, you know, where people are storing their wealth in real estate, um, but it's got an other very obvious use for well, living. Not, not, not only does it have an al- obvious alternative use, but uh, the thing that people forget about real estate as a store of wealth is that it's almost entirely predicated on interest rates. So right. if you see a, a spike debt. in- you There's see, not any new debt. Yeah. Crash. Exactly. You see a spike in it. I mean, not, not even if there's not new debt, but if the, the cost of debt just simply goes to a historically normal level of say six or seven or 8% annually, yeah. the real estate market is dead. I mean, right. it'll be destroyed if that happens. Nasty. And, it's going to yeah. be nasty. Yeah. And that's, that's what I, because I'm a, you know, a mortgage expert, that's what I try and inform my audience of is like, if you're trying to hedge against inflation, historically, I agree. Obviously, real estate has been a tremendous investment because people borrow more and more money, more and more cheaply. You get, you know, the the benefit on the as the ownership uh, portion of the real estate market. So, it's historically it's been great, but how much lower can interest rates go? You know, you're you're already kind of at the the threshold at which things start to get really really wonky, and I'm not at all convinced that the the fiat system will go quietly into that good night you know that they will just simply say we're going to go negative interest rates and sure bitcoin's going to a million dollars but fuck it this is what we have to do now i think that you could see potentially and i know it's unlikely and this is like the black swan event that no one is predicting as even a possibility but you could see a guy like um who was the central bank uh chair in the 80s that did this I forget his uh, name. Greenspan? No, it's the guy no, before him. That's before him. I'm blanking on it. But anyways, he came in and he uh, he spiked interest rates from the he Fed to like, to like yeah. 12%. Right. I mean, it was crazy. And, and it completely saved the dollar in the 80s. I mean, it made the dollar tremendously valuable. Um, so if they want to do that again, certainly it's going to cause a tremendous amount of pain economically but it could re underpin the value of the dollar for say the next 30 years, if they were to do so. Um, so I'm not discounting that as a complete impossibility. I think that there is some chance that you, you see uh, the writing on the wall that, okay, you know, fiat is dying. Like we have to take drastic measures. 
Alternatively, they could go into central bank digital currencies and try and figure out a way to piggyback the acceptance of, of, uh, of Bitcoin and others. So I don't know how this is going to play out, but basically either way, I think that real estate could be in trouble. Uh, the only, the only option in which I see real estate really thriving is if they just say, fuck it, we're going to hyperinflate in which case obviously owning real estate's good. So I would like to hear yeah. you guys predictions as to which direction this goes, man. That's a tough one. Um, uh, because you, you know, that's, that's the ultimate question. And oh, Paul Volcker, and, by the way, it was Volcker. Volcker. Yeah. Volcker, Volcker. Thank you. Um, uh, but like, that's not only the ultimate question, but it's also the crux of the problem, right? Yes. Is that we have to wait for some political asshole to decide whether we're going to hyperinflate or credit crisis. Yep. Like, like we just got some dude with a hand on the lever and we got to predict what he's going to do. And every it's, investment it's a nightmare. <laughs> we make is just what he sees in the entrails as he, you know, like does his little, does his little magic, uh, and we're all just guinea pigs. Mm -hmm. We're all just we're all just absolutely screwed. So your your opt out is Bitcoin. Clearly, my opt out is Bitcoin. Is get the hell out of there, okay. um, uh, because there's so much systemic risk. Now, in the short term, if they actually raised interest rates, if they did some crazy shit like that, which I I kind of find unlikely. Um, I, I agree, it's unlikely. Yeah, um, but uh, if they did that, Bitcoin would actually get hit in the short term. You know, yes, interest rates, but like without a doubt, any any sound asset would get hit really hard. Yeah, well, you see that that's the one thing, and I'm glad to hear you say that because so many maximalists are like, number go up, you know, and like that, and, <laughs> yeah. and I'm like, I mean, it's fun, it's Twitter, you right. know. <laughs> but but uh, I like I like a more reasonable approach to this stuff because this is not a game. This isn't a joke. Yeah. Like this is fucking the future, man. Like we should be taking this seriously. And and if you look at what happened when we had the deflationary collapse in March of 2020, it, mm -hmm. it was because we announced those lockdowns and and everyone was like, holy shit, what's going to happen? And people appropriately fled the stock market because they're like, oh, the economy is going to be fucking destroyed by this. Yep. And Bitcoin ate shit. I mean, it it got it cut jumped. by- Yeah, like I don't 60 know. 60% in like four days. Exactly. So I'm serious. Um, I think that- that's a real legitimate risk that if if the deflationary collapse comes, I mean, it's not a risk. It's an opportunity if you're smart, but it's a risk yeah. otherwise. So like, yeah. obviously, anyone that has dry powder, you know, liquid cash available, that's the moment that we're all waiting for is yeah. for all the weak hands to flee. And that's what I'm waiting for, because I'm going to sell these six fucking houses and I want to hammer Bitcoin when it takes a shit. Um, so I'm, I guess the reason I'm asking is, do you think that we that Bitcoin is now so strong that we can see that we will never see 20, 30 again. All right. Like I know it's very hard to make this prediction. I'm not going to hold you to it, but I'm just curious what you guys think. I personally don't think so. I'll actually tell you my March 2020 story Please. Um, uh, because I had gotten, <clears throat> I had been through quite a few disastrous, painful bear markets at that point. Um, and uh, my confidence level was, like those things don't phase me if i don't i admit like when i saw the crash my first thought was oh my god what happened and i went looking for google and like out of fear and i was like shot 256 broken i went quantum computers i went like looking for just any <laughs> stupid thing that could maybe be like an actual disaster and like how i needed to prepare um uh and to adjust for it and after i couldn't find anything for like 30 minutes i was like oh shit 
this is just like a liquidity crisis. Yep. This is just a golden opportunity. And I went, we have like a, a quote unquote filing cabinet. We have a shelf with all these like little like file folder things that keep all of our like historical records and stuff. And I went in like a excited panic and I ripped every single one of these out and I spread, there were papers all over our living room floor looking for any dollars that we had in some sort of savings. And I found, I found for an old job that I had as a technician, I had paid into a retirement account for four years and uh, the, the company had matched it um, uh, 100% for that whole four year period. And I had apparently never touched it and I had no idea it was there. It was like Incredible. a fidelity account. And, um, and, and my wife came home and she like, He's like looking around the room and there's like paper everywhere. And I was like, Bitcoin's crashing. We're going to buy. <laughs> He's like, you are freaking insane. Um, and then a couple of days later, uh, we, we had two cars and one of them was old beat up piece of crap. That was just our backup car, sold the car um, in a few days. I mean, I, I went and looked for every amount of dry powder that I possibly could. I love it. And if we had another deflationary crisis, we had another crash. I'd do the exact same thing. Okay. Um, because my ultimate problem is systemic risk and I want to own the money that I own. Uh, that's kind of the beauty of Bitcoin is that it's not fake prices, right? You know, like it tells the real state of the real economy, um, and responds to it, which means that ultimately it's going to allocate economic resources a thousand times better than the dollar does. That's fair. Um, and uh, and I'm going to buy it every single every time it drops 50 percent, 80 percent. I'm I'm going to cry out of happiness that I got to stack a little bit more at that price. Um, <laughs> and I was very much rewarded from March of last year. You think? Um, and uh, and I expect it to be all Bitcoin has to do is keep working and doing what Bitcoin does. Right. Um, uh, and uh, on the scale of like, is fiat going to die? Not yet. Um, I think, like I, like I said, just the, the time scale of money is decades. Like you don't measure it in years. You just don't. Um, like money is a, such a foundational thing. Like the economy comes after money is established, mm -hmm. right? Like it's like society happens after language is established. Like, like that is how base layer of a thing that we are talking about. Mm -hmm. um, and the time scale that I'm looking at Bitcoin is 10 to 20 years of like, serious like long-term development and infrastructure uh and uh just like the internet in 1990 i wouldn't be selling that shit in 2010 you know like we're just getting rolling mm -hmm. uh and uh, uh i think the same thing in the context of bitcoin and i think it's far more likely that one of the reasons why i think hyperinflation hasn't happened yet um is because there's been no exit door uh, like the only reason a currency finally fails is because there's enough liquidity somewhere else for yep. it to leave and yep. go to. I always, you, I always describe it as a race to the bottom. All the central yeah, banks are doing the exact same thing. And that's the only reason. That, so where do you go? So where yeah, do you go? You've yeah. got no, you've got no way out of the room. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, Bitcoin is not there yet, but it is, it is getting to that point. Um, uh, particularly with the layers and things that are being built on top of it. Uh, and the liquidity on lightning that continues to grow, uh, we're inching into that territory where I'm like, shit, there could be a roll. There could be an avalanche into this thing that doesn't stop. Well, then um, we need to maybe get to not. That. We need to get to that question. I want to talk to you about lightning, but but, but okay. first, I'd okay. like to I'd like to get Rolo's take on this. 
Yeah, sorry, I just talked for like 30 minutes. <laughs> I, I've been doing the same too. Now, uh, during that during that crash, so I, I don't know. Um, I, I agree with Guy. I don't really see this Bitcoin really taking huge hits anymore, especially as more institutional money starts going into it. Really adds. Uh, I think they're in it for the same kind of reasons that we are. That they want something that they can hold for the long term and and let, and let not me try let like me day trade it. Let me add something in real quick because uh, I think this is an important question and it's along the lines of what you just said. Um, I know, I know, we always talk about, especially as libertarians, we don't believe in prohibition. It, it, it's self-defeating. However, that doesn't mean that the government won't do it. You know, they, they could certainly uh, criminalize it or, or make it illegal, particularly for, say, hedge funds or pensions. You know, if they, if they were to prevent the big boys from taking the plunge, it would certainly suppress prices in the, in the near term. Mm-hmm. Sure. Um, do you, do you both discount that, uh, that potential? And I mean, I guess for your, for your sake, it would be a good thing because it would give you an opportunity to buy more before they an- inevitably do pile in if, if Bitcoin ends up being the currency of the world someday. Um, but what's your, what's your thesis on that? I think there's a lot of game theory there. So I think it's might be too late for them to try to do that. At least the American government, um, Companies like Tesla, Square, uh, even J.P. Morgan's getting getting some some t- dipping their toes in. Uh, even George a George Soros fund uh, is touching Bitcoin now. Well, that that it's scares mutual. me. <laughs> Bitcoin fixes this, so he fixes uh, George uh, fixes uh, George Soros. God, I hope. But, but like Mass Mutual too. So you know, as these big companies start getting into Bitcoin and they're doing it for reasons because of, you know, fiat so bad and they want something that's actually stores their wealth. And the government comes in and says, Hey, we want to like make it difficult for you to, to, you know, do your Bitcoin stuff. These companies are going to say, Whoa, Whoa, Whoa. Um, we're the ones that fund your election campaigns and uh, you're messing around like big business and these in- institutional money leverage government in order to, uh, for their own interests. Certainly. And so the, the question is, is it, is there enough upside in them protecting Bitcoin versus the downside of the death of fiat? You know, like right. could, could they be brought into the room, the, the, you know, the smoky filled room with all the politicians and they just sit them down and they go, guys, fiat is going to die if we don't ban Bitcoin. Like, is, and, and the downside risk to your companies, if that happens, is far more significant than whatever, whatever loss you take on Bitcoin's plunge. You know, like that's the that's the thing that I, I concern myself with a little bit. Yeah, I don't I don't know that they would see, you know, that huge of a that huge because if, if the government's saying, like, unless we do this one thing, or, you know, fiat's going to die. You know, there's no guarantee there. And I think that they're probably in a mode of just like panic we need to absolutely protect ourselves not panic but like really need to really 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 need to protect ourselves against whatever is going to happen because you know if they do go in that it's good it's uh, you know if, if you went into that room and, and someone said like you have to trust us to do this thing that like wh- what's the likelihood that you're going to think that's going to succeed yeah and, well, and going I'm, to- I'm going to walk out of that room and i'm going to sell fucking everything that i have and throw it into bitcoin probably. right right and so like <laughs> they're going to want to hedge against whatever they're doing and that hedge is 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 bitcoin um so you know as these politicians start being aggressive against bitcoin these this institutional money is going to say hey you've got an election re-election coming up do you want to get re-elected again because we fund your campaigns sure so bitcoin's going to end up buying the government and politicians to make it, you know, work in their favor. And then 
Also, too, you look at on this in an international scale. And since, um, unfortunately, Carr couldn't be here for most of it, we did an episode on my show with him a while ago about game theory and governments, that it's not really a slam dunk that the U.S. is going to or China or any of these, these global powers are going to try to ban Bitcoin because it, it leaves an opportunity for a competing global economy to, to be friendly to Bitcoin and absorb all that wealth. Mm, so it's really like, you know, that's a really say, good point, though. Yeah. Like, let's say China decides that they really, really ban mining. They lose all that wealth that's mm-hmm. generated from that. And, and, and not just specifically generated from that mining, but all of the things that are associated with that, with right. the mining operations, they lose that. All of, the economic act, all of the economic activity that, that comes from the use and the, you know, the movement of that money through their economy too. Yeah, it's, yeah. it would be very devastating. And, and it and, leaves and an opportunity. About... Yeah, it leaves an opportunity for competitor to say, "Oh no, we'll we'll be friendly there, and and we'll we'll bring we'll bring people there." It's just like it's happening in the U.S. among states. There's states like Wyoming and Kentucky that are being really open and and trying to bring in Bitcoin to them. Well, and there's there's states that are maybe not doing that, and it's we're going to see a, a a change in in what where wealth is. Yeah, because- no, I I agree with that entire game theory. Um, analysis. I, my my concern would be that, you know, we already, had, as I told you, I'm going to have that conspiracy theorist guy on in a in a month. Um, it's not it's not impossible for me to envision all of the central bankers of the world meeting up at Davos or wherever the fuck they meet up and talk and saying, "Hey, this is the end of the game." Like, because because I, I mean, you guys both understand how devastating this is to them. I mean, they, they won't be able to, I mean, it could be the end of war, which would be great for us, but it would be terrible for them. It's the, it's the entire, it's, we're sucking their fucking life force out of them. And I just can't envision them going down without a fight. So are you just, are you just confident because of the, the merits of Bitcoin and its utility and everything else that they simply cannot? Because I have no doubt in my mind they would like to if they could. Yeah. Right. Yeah, yeah, I think I... Do you think there's any way that they, those people are not buying Bitcoin right now? I would imagine most of them. Well, not most. I would imagine a lot of them are. Right. Well, that actually, that brings up a good point, though. What if there's, what if a, there's a fun game theory is that in in the public face, when you get together in your room uh, of like, we're going to save all the central banks, that they're already seeing the writing on the wall, right? And there's going to be one or two defectors in that group and they're going to see that they've got a money printing machine that can buy them bitcoin before the shit hits the fan right uh, that was exactly where i was going somebody is going to use that <laughs> so what, why do you going, think, why do you think that none of them have done it yet how do we know how do we know okay. they haven't started you know well, do you um, think all right that's that's a good I, question they, they might not know they might not see how bad the situation is yet they've had a very comfortable we can do whatever the hell we want and get away with it environment for a very very long time yeah i mean you know politicians they're ignorant i i don't think they really get what the hell's going on any better than anybody else does i don't think um, the politicians do it's the central bankers that i find it hard to believe they don't they don't they don't this. see it yeah um but, the, but they're but they are keynesian they're not austrian so like there's a chance there's a chance that just their ideology yeah. makes them not see what we see it's just very hard for me to believe that you know and i'll tell you this is also a huge factor into why i'm a bitcoin maximalist is because if that happened oh i think bitcoin God. would be the only one that came out the other side it would be so um, huge if that happened. is that 
like Bitcoin is designed assuming that everybody is its enemy. Um, uh, even, even not too long ago in one of the client releases that I was reading about, like some of the reasons of some of the reasons for some of their changes. Um, and, uh, it was like little, just like tweaks in the client. And one of them was literally that like it pulls syncing data and like time data from like a random, uh, from a random regional server, as opposed to the closest regional server, because a government could potentially do a time warp attack by manipulating the code. I mean, manipulating what time the computer thought it was. Yeah. Um, and so it just like grabbed it at random. I'm just like, like who the hell thinks of that shit? You know, like, and <laughs> like, that's what the Bitcoin core developers are doing, right? Is I they're thinking, it. how could you kill this thing? Let's solve that. Right. Um, and that's the whole focus. That's the whole focus yeah. is every potential way that you could shut this network down. It is the BitTorrent on steroids of money. <laughs> um, that's beautiful. And, and, and that's why like the people like in like a bunch of these altcoins or whatever, are just completely missing the missing the thing. Like they didn't do that upgrade. Right. They, they, that's not their thinking. Their thinking is what kind of, how many crypto kitties can we stick into this thing? And I'm like, that's not the problem. That's not the problem. The problem is that the central banks are going to be pissed about losing their monopoly. Can yeah. they kill it? Yes. Exactly. That's all we got to do is not die. Yeah. That's, that's the whole goal. Yeah. We um, stay alive. We win. Yeah. Yeah. We stay alive. We win. Um, and, uh, and I think Bitcoin's the only one that would make it out the other side. And probably a lot of the other ones would survive in like some, like, you know, sad little form, but it would only be because Bitcoin kept them alive. I think Yeah, that's just me. Um, uh, but, uh, I, I, I still don't think it's likely that central banks agree on much of anything. Um, politics I, in its nature is yeah, about no, I, hating people. I, <laughs> it's about I, hating each other and I, not I, getting along. I, I agree. It's just that, I mean, we, we do know that they work in unison to some extent. You know, it's like, like inter, I mean, yeah, that's a good point. It's in unison, but it's also in competition, but they, they move based off of each other's actions. So like, I mean, a per perfect example is the lockdowns. Who would have thought that we could have had a yeah. global lockdown protocol? Like, it's psychotic. If you had told me that three years ago or two years ago or the day before lockdowns that happened globally, I would have laughed in your face and said it's yeah. an impossibility. They would, they would know in their heart what kind of societal and economic damage that would do to the people. There's no way in fucking hell that that happens. And it did. So... Um, I guess I always Touché. I always leave the door open, you know. I always leave the door open for the worst case scenario, and uh, but I'm glad to hear that there are, you know, psychotic, paranoid developers out there that are thinking the same way I am and trying to yeah. front run the, these bastards to keep keep them off our our scent. So, yeah. um, I, I wanted to ask you guys briefly, uh, and we'll get out of here quickly. But I, I wanted to know what is what is your, uh, and, and this is probably how all Bitcoin conversations end obviously. What is your, what is your expectation for Bitcoin value as a, in a, you know, in comparison to the U S dollar in say at the next having, wh where does it go long-term? I mean, I, I know you kind of, uh, not the Smith may five, but you brought up a uh, number go up. That's uh, but that's what it is. It's, it's, it's just going to, I don't have like specific short-term expectations right I have, but I just, I think it's going to become global money in a number of decades. Okay. And so, you, so that's, think, that's where think I think it's just it going to keep it. Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. I think it's going to replace it. And I, I, I don't do too. think, I don't think there's any, 
real way to stop it. And I think it's just, well, it's interesting. A, it's let me let me ask you a quick question because Roger Ver, the reason he sent me that that Bitcoin Cash was because he would. I think, I mean, based off of the message he sent me with it, I, I had I had put out this stupid tweet saying, "Yo, uh, you know, follow my YouTube channel. It, once I get to X amount of subscribers, I can make like fifty cents an episode and I can buy some Bitcoin." It was a stupid joke. Uh, obviously, <laughs> I, I'm yeah. not going to take my fifty cents and buy Bitcoin. But he <laughs> he DMs me Bitcoin Cash going. Hey, you can't transact in 50 cents on Bitcoin. Here's <laughs> here's 50 cents and now here's 50 bucks in Bitcoin cash. Um, so what is the Lightning Network the solution to that? Is that is that what allows for lower level transactions in Bitcoin? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It is. Um, okay. I, I send I, I send 50 cent transactions all the time. Um so why would he say that? Is he just thinking that I'm ignorant at, to it? Man, he he's just so stuck in that narrative. Uh I mean, that's how Bitcoin Cash was created. Um, and I, I think he's just had the wrong engineering mindset. And even when that guy, like he was a huge Bitcoin proponent early on, and I was a fan of him back then. Right. Um, but he was like crazy stubborn, crazy stubborn even then. I mean, that's why he was a great Bitcoin supporter, right? Mm-hmm. Um, he's just unbelievably stubborn. And I think he's just he, he's just married to his vision of Bitcoin and it didn't work out the way he thought. And he was unwilling to change the engineering mindset and instead decided that everybody who disagreed with him was evil. And and here we are. Did, um, did Bitcoin go a, a different direction than he had wanted it to? I don't understand. He he thought so like in the context of like decentralization is you know, you have to have a very low footprint at the base layer. Like the base layer needs to have, like just so that it can run entirely over Tor, so that it can run entirely over satellite at satellite network, so that the government can't shut it down. It better have a low data footprint or you're screwed. Um, and uh, he had it in his mind that we were all going to make base layer Bitcoin transactions. Uh, and there were going to be billions and billions and billions of things. And we were all going to shove them in the blockchain and keep them indefinitely. Uh, which means that you're going to have gigabytes of data that you got to download every few minutes. And that's it. Like, I, I think it's a fundamental misunderstanding of the scaling problem. Like when people say that like, oh, my block size in so-and-so chain is like 10 times as big as Bitcoin. The analogy that I like to talk about or I like to refer to is that it's like there's a dude with a glass uh, and then there's a dude with a bucket and they're standing on the beach in front of the ocean. And the guy with the bucket is saying, see, I'm closer. And because the scaling problem is infinite. We're not talking just about like, oh, we're going to meet Visa's payments at 50,000 transactions per second, which Bitcoin is at like seven, which is which basically matches Fedwire, right? Which sounds about reasonable. Um, And then Bitcoin Cash is like 20 or 30 or some shit. Like you're so far gone from 50,000 and that's just Visa. We're talking about MasterCard. We're talking about Cash App. We're talking about PayPal. We're talking about every, we're talking about the whole infrastructure of the monetary system. Like the problem isn't how big of a bucket you have. The problem is, are you scaling exponentially Mm -hmm. or not? Because if you're not, if you're linearly scaling, if you have to add one unit of data for every one unit of transaction, you already failed. You all, you're out the gate, you, you're done. You got no future. Mm-hmm. And that's basically was his vision of it. it we're just going to add new transactions. So it would require some quantum computing type it upgrade. Just, it, it's just uh, the scaling problem is so massive, it's absurd. 
Um, right. But I'm just saying, I, like, if we had some unbelievable technological improvement in terms of, uh, you know, processing and, and mm -hmm. transmitting and everything else, perhaps we could have gone down his maybe, path. But maybe. but under yeah. current, you know, technological limitations, it's it's. I agree. I agree. It's it just it's, if, it's just unfeasible. Yeah. Um, uh, and, and, and so that that just put a ton of vitriol, like just so much at each other's throats about it. Interesting. Um, but well, uh, I, I, don't, I don't know much about his background, so I'm I just wanted yeah. to ask. But uh, go ahead, Rolo. Yeah, I was just going to say it was going to it would cause nodes to drop off the network because it, they wouldn't be able to handle all of that course. bandwidth. And so it would just centralize the control of it. Um, yeah, Roger Veer is a, 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 a an interesting past. Uh, he's. So maybe what you can do if you want to have some fun with Roger, because what I think he was doing was I think he, he thought you mentioned in the beginning that like, I don't know, people think I'm poor and $50 is going to like change me. Yeah. I think he thought that you were a poor libertarian and <laughs> were trying to like make a lot of money because it's kind of what he does, or at least what he gets accused of doing is he goes and finds, you know, these libertarians and, you know, he, he talks the libertarian game very well. And all of a sudden he's know, a good libertarian. I'll give him that. Like sure. he at least has the right mind, yeah. like, like the right goal, you know? Yeah. Mm -hmm. So maybe send a message back and be like, Oh man, do you, can you like, I could talk about Bitcoin cash more if you send me Bitcoin cash. So <laughs> it's, it's like, he's trying well, to gonna, deal. <laughs> I'm going to convert it to Bitcoin though. Just so you know. <laughs> yeah. Well, the perfect. There you go. Win -win. <laughs> but like, I think that's, I think that's what he was trying to do. I think he thought because he's like a big name and thing. And, and you know, if you're oh man, Roger Veer, Veer just uh, is wants to hang out with me and talk to me and, and, right. and like work together. Like you think you've made it. And so like, Hey, I'm going to go with him. And, uh, and then he's, and he's sending me money too. So I think that's, that's what he's kind of doing. Well, I'm a much more expensive prostitute. You're gonna to have to up your game, Roger. I need I need way more money than that. <laughs> I'm cheap. If it comes in sets, just, I'm cheap. Uh, so we didn't we didn't get your prediction, guy. Where where do you think uh, you know pricing levels out at the next halving, and and like what's your time horizon? It sounds like Rolo thinks a couple decades. Do you think it's faster, longer? Any opinion? I actually tend to think it's faster. Um, uh, you know. I think we're about to go through uh, an infrastructure inversion, um, uh, much like we saw with the internet. Um, and, you know, there was a point where, um, you know, your grandma swore she was never going to use the internet. And it was too complicated, right? Like, particularly like in the in nineties and early two thousands. Uh, and so you're saying the boomers are about to get on this stuff, huh? Yeah. Well, she didn't know it. But one day, sometime in the late 90s, she picked up her corded phone in the kitchen and she she had an analog connection, but it went to a local node that was then turned into packet switching on the Internet, sent across the country and connected to the old lady she was talking to at the other end analog. She was actually using the Internet, but she still at the at the end, it was still the analog phone. I got you. Um, I think that's actually what we'll see happen to Fiat. Um, is the five business days and $50 fees to send money overseas, just like long distance calls and can't call out of the country. It's just going to slowly disappear and nobody's going to know why. Mm -hmm. But it's going to be because their bank settles the transaction overseas with a Bitcoin's futures contract that's tied to the dollar value. Mm. 
the liquidity is getting to the point and the fact that we're actually building an interest rate market in Bitcoin that's real interest rates and a, a liquid like multi-billion dollar and I think in not very long, uh, not a very long time, trillion dollar uh, volume like liquidity uh, futures contract uh, market for Bitcoin, the liquidity is going to be there and you're going to start, you're going to send money to Italy you send $20 to Italy and it's not going to really cost you anything and it's going to happen in an hour and you're going to be like, banks are great. But it's going to be because they've they've switched over to the Bitcoin and Lightning infrastructure. Uh, a company called Strike by Jack Mallers is literally doing this right now. Um, is that they they actually did it live they, like uh, as they're going global here and they're going to be available in basically every country. Um, and uh, uh, Nidig, uh, run by uh, Russell Stevens from the, uh, I think it was Stone Ridge uh, company. They set this whole thing up and he said in no uncertain terms, we're going to flat out destroy Western Union. We're going to destroy remittances. We're taking the whole thing. We're going to disrupt it all. Uh, and we're going to be able to send money anywhere in the world in an instant for free. Um, and they're doing it by building out the Lightning Network. Um, and uh, uh, Strike did it live while he was talking to uh, somebody that worked with him in like Ghana or something like that. I can't even remember exactly where it was, but he sent him like five cent 30 times. Like he was just streaming money to the guy. I saw that video. Yeah. Uh, that you saw that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, and this is specifically because we're using Bitcoin as the, as a monetary network, not even the asset. We're not using Bitcoin, the asset here. It's just the network that is an open permissionless network, just like the internet where you can just create an app at the, at the end and just anybody can log in and use it. Um, and we're about to say that, see that same thing with Bitcoin uh, and the, the monetary network. And I think it's going to have a feedback loop on Bitcoin, the asset. Interesting. Uh, and in four to eight years, I think there's going to be a point where there's just no going back. It just it steamrolls like the Internet did. Uh, and it's going to explode. And people are going to realize people are going to be using Bitcoin all the time. They have no idea that they're actually doing it. Um, and then sooner or later, it will just one day there will just be a Bitcoin denomination on like a handful of services that they use that can literally only exist. That's the key. There will be novel applications. When the Internet first built a thing that couldn't exist anywhere except on the Internet, Bitcoin and Lightning is going to do that very soon. Um, Strike, is, I think, is a great example. Um, and that shit is going to catch on like fire. And then it just kind of won't make sense to go back to. Well, the thing that's that's upset up. me about uh, transacting in Bitcoin or purchasing it was has been the the fees, and I'm probably stupidly buying it sure. in places that I should not be. Can you guys give my listeners any advice on on how to buy, particularly significant amounts? You know, not a hundred bucks, two hundred bucks, but like, is it uh, what's it? Bisc? Is that the route to go, or where where would you guys recommend? It's tough. I mean, it depends. I, I think BISC, it's a decentralized exchange. I think it's better for smaller, maybe smaller amounts. Uh, you check. It's, it's kind of low liquidity there. It's, it's, it's getting better. Um, yeah, I mean, the KYC is a big deal. You know your customer. So they, yeah. they kind of dox that you're, you have the Bitcoin. So See, that, that's what I'm trying to do is to purchase a bunch, but, you know, without KYC. Yeah. yeah, there's so there's something called Azteco, which is a way to buy gift cards that you ex, you take that gift card and then you punch in a code and it gets Bitcoin. Interesting. 
get Bitcoin out of it. So like I've done Bitcoin redeem card sort so of. So that would yeah. be anonymized then. Yes. So there's no KYC with that, and there's there's vendors out there um, that you can you know do it online. And actually bought a large amount of Bitcoin by doing that, sending sending just like punching punching PayPal, uh, punching Venmo until my you know my bank says, "What do you do? You can't send that much money through there." But just pounding pounding you know thousands of dollars at a time over and over again and uh it worked i mean my, my one bank account <laughs> shut shut it down sending money to paypal but then i just used another bank account and <laughs> well this, which, which really just go out of their way <laughs> yeah which really shows that the, the current the, the fiat system you you don't actually own your money well, there's someone else has not, a, without, not without someone money. looking after it that's for damn sure right nope. um so it is tough and it really shows the importance of Bitcoin because if you want to use your money for something, you want to be able to use your money. You don't want to have to go through the government and the bank because right now to use fiat to take money out of your bank account, you need permission from both of them. And really only two parties need to know, need to decide two out of those three parties get to decide on where your money goes. That doesn't need to involve you. Mm-hmm. Or is Bitcoin? It's, it's you and no one else. Uh, but that, I'm going off the uh, what the question was. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I think Azteco is, is a great thing. There's the fees are a little bit higher, but you're. I think that's the premium for being staying anonymous. If you don't the, care about KYC, what's the cheapest way for people to buy? Because I'm sure some people don't care. Probably uh, Swan. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, they're sponsoring my show, but I have no obligation to show them like <laughs> when sure. I'm on yours. Um, but uh, I, I do almost everything through Swan uh, these okay. days. I mean, you can do Cash App, too. Their fees are a little bit higher. Um, can you can you mix it after the fact if you buy on Swan and then become anonymized? I do um, uh, a lot of time um, just to do like Wasabi Wallet or Samurai Wallet, just to just to get a disconnect so that Swan or prime trust or whatever company is you know sending you the bitcoin uh can't see what i'm doing with it like and it's probably unnecessary like it's not like i'm like going on the dark web and some shit like i don't care no. but in, in the grand in the general sense i just like the privacy i just like somebody has to come ask me what the hell i did with it like, exactly that's all I'm, that's all i'm looking for <laughs> yeah, as well is yeah. like um well i have a i could probably do this for i don't know 50 hours because this is so interesting to me but uh <laughs> we've we've already gone quite quite a bit longer than we expected so um go ahead and tell people where they can find you because i'm sure people would like to to bother you with a billion questions about bitcoin <laughs> rollo uh sure yeah uh well first of all clint thanks for having me on this was uh i love Absolutely. talking about bitcoin this was an absolute blast i hope that. i really hope that my questions weren't so rudimentary that it was boring no, for you guys no. oh no good shit no this okay. great stuff good because yeah, yeah. it's not this yeah. is as i said this is not my forte so i was very concerned about wasting your guys time so i hope no, that it wasn't boring no 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 this this was excellent this was this was really a lot of fun uh, and i appreciate all the questions you had they're good um you can check me out mostly at the Rollo and Slappy show with my co-host Slappy Jones. Uh, you can find that at mcflugel.com. We also uh, run libertymugs.com, which libertarian theme mugs and Bitcoin theme mugs. But yeah, the Rollo and Slappy show, um, jumping around, but it's, uh, we started out as a libertarian podcast. We still are a libertarian podcast, but now we are a Bitcoin libertarian <laughs> podcast pretty much. But we're really trying to bridge the gap between libertarians and Bitcoin. Because we really do believe that Bitcoin is by far 
by far, with nothing even coming close to being the best tool that we have as libertarians to defeat the state. And so we're, we're, we're trying to make libertarians understand that and also to get Bitcoiners to understand libertarianism because the two just go hand in hand so well. And then also um, there's a, we're starting, we haven't released it yet, but we're creating a, a newsletter called Bitcoin Trickle, uh, bitcointrickle.com, where we want to uh, learn about Bitcoin is like drinking from a fire hose. There's just so much, so much to learn. So what we want to do is give a little bit, a little bit of a trickle, a little bit of the time and, and learn it that way. So you're not overwhelmed by it. So you get a couple of emails a week explaining some of the key points so that you can kind of get yourself up to speed um, on, uh, on Bitcoin stuff. I love it. I love it. What about you guy? Yeah. Yeah. So uh, uh, you can check me out at, uh, I have uh, uh, two shows. Um, uh, Bitcoin Audible is my main show. Uh, and literally the whole point of it was to make the fire hose easily available right. um, is, uh, you know, make all the best pieces in Bitcoin on every, every possible, every possible concept that you could think of the philosophy of uh, cypherpunk history, uh, the new technology updates, the economics, a lot, I'm a huge economics nerd. I got a lot of different pieces by like Hayek and Mises and stuff available in audio on the show. And then I break down how it relates to Bitcoin. Um, uh, so you know, 506, seven odd reads and another hundred and some episodes of interviews and stuff like that. It's, it's literally what I do all day, every day. Um, and uh, so you can check that at bitcoinaudible.com. Uh, and then the other one is my guilty pleasure. Like, like I'm usually like, I try to be pretty respectful to shit coins, honestly. Like, I, I don't want to, like, I get that it's hard to understand, you know, and it's not, you naturally go the social media sort of route, the Facebook and the MySpace and Bitcoin Maxis are stupid and, you know, toxic and all this stuff. So I get it, you know, but Shitcoin Insider is kind of my guilty pleasure where I just, I just rail against them. Uh, and, uh, and we've got like five episodes of that so far and I got another one uh, uh, on the doorstep. So, cool. um, but uh yeah yeah check those out and you can find me on twitter i got dms open all the time i'm happy to answer any questions or help out like yeah like guys what i guy do is the the crypto economy or at oh the, yeah the crypto economy sorry the crypto yeah. economy and then rollo is at or excuse me rollo rollo mcflugel <laughs> yeah. on twitter so uh i really appreciate the time guys i, I learned a lot i think that um as you said this is a fire hose and i've been drinking for a while but i was feeling like I was drowning. So to bring in two uh, experts in the field to really, you know, help me get more comfortable with this concept, especially since I'm going to have a tremendous amount of liquidity here shortly, and I'm going to have some very significant decisions to make. Mm, that liquidity. Um, yeah, yeah, exactly. So uh, let's let's pray for a deflationary collapse. Yes. <laughs> and like one more know, price drop, please. <laughs> yeah, like please. July. Just give me one. Just give me one. Like forty, even. Let's just get to forty, huh? Um, so yeah, it was a blast guys. Thank you so much. Awesome, man. Thanks dude. Been a great Thank time. You. Big shout out to everybody that's been with me since Jump Street. Appreciate y'all. World premiere. Welcome to 
Liberty Lockdown, please scan your barcode Your liberty ain't gone, but yeah, it's on hold Where did it come from and where did it go? It requires a fight, not tweeting from your phone Don't need a king, get him off the fucking throne If you're riding with the thought, you've always got a home The virus is scared of, will come and it'll go The government knows this, don't get treated like a hoe Like Nico and Shane, you're probably wondering what's happening Scared Hollywood, lefties lyrical fappening A typo with Luke might bring the nooses We all bite the bullet, I'm the king of the gooses Freckles and Brit, didn't know I could spit Knew I was a patriot, but now I'm the shit Peter Quinones, invite me on Which podcast sends custom songs Part of the problem, now I stand with the people Dave showed the way, but I am unequal Lions of Liberty now hear me roar Beat running up, but I got a bit more Robbie the Fire, always running his mouth But I made him a sandwich, now I'm man of the house No malice for Nick, but you're welcome to quit I went over BLM with the fire I spit Friends against government, just call us fags Copy the Cairo, put mummies in the bag Allowable opinions get thrown on the ground Silky Smooth Tom was the only sound Getting so hot must be air July Screaming in the mic to rip a 59 Miles Teray showed that black guns matter Now all these lefties got crazy small bladders None of us wanted war but we're ready You know I be bopping ain't rock steady Liberty lockdown, please scan your barcode Your liberty ain't gone but yeah it's on hold Where did it come from and where did it go It requires a fight, not tweeting from your phone Don't need a king, get him off the fucking throne If you're right with the thought, you've always got a home The virus you're scared of will come and it'll go The government knows this, don't get treated like a hoe Let's get into the show.